0: good to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping with yes. so many voices lifted up together. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Um, well, I'm excited. Today, I'm going to begin something new. Um, we, we made it through the, the Ten Commandments just before Christmas. We went through a, a series of Advent ser- services, and uh, today, we're going to start talking about one of my very favorite subjects, and that is the church. So I'm talking about you today. Um, but we, um, this is going to be uh, just kind of a journey. I don't know exactly how long it goes. I haven't outlined the entire series yet, but I know that it's going to be several weeks where we talk about what the church is, how it functions, what its missions are, and, and we're going to be talking about how all this fits together. And I believe that this is going to have some really practical things for us as a body of believers in the coming year. Uh, one of the things that I'm looking forward to is, is I'm looking forward to us appointing some people to offices within the church. We've been a, a, a new church for a long time and, and we've kind of gotten to a point where we're maturing as a church and, and I believe it's time for us to elect people to offices within the church. And we're going to be talking about what those offices are, what those requirements are and, and what it looks like to function together as a body of believers according to the scriptures. And so I'm looking forward to that. We're also going to talk about spiritual gifts within the church. And and one of the things that I want to come out of that is, is I want you to discover what your spiritual gifts are. If you haven't ever done that before, if you don't think you have any, I've got news for you, you do. And and I want to facilitate any way that you could learn what God has gifted you to do and how you fit into the body of Christ. Not just the body of Christ here, but the body of Christ as a whole. And and so I'm excited about where this is headed and, and what this is going to be for us and for this year. But my, my first question today, my, the, the thing that I wanted to begin with is what is the church? We, we need to kind of define our terms. If we're going to be talking about the church over the next several weeks, we need to kind of know what we're talking about. We need to agree on that. And um, I found this. This is uh, a, a technical paper that somebody put together with a lot of scripture references, but this is their one sentence definition of the church. It says, the new, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant and the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in, in them by his word and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's a lot to say. And, and, and that is not an outline of what today's sermon is going to be, all right? It, 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 is, it is those things, and I believe that statement to be true, but there's something more fundamental. And, and today what I want to do is I want to boil it down to what the church is all about. What is the church according to Scripture? And so I believe the, the best place to start is the one time in all the Gospels that the word church is even mentioned. And it was mentioned by Jesus. And so what does Jesus say about the church is where we'll start today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to begin in verse 13. Jesus is with his disciples. This is one of his more intimate moments with his closest disciples. And um, as he's sitting there with them, he asks them a very interesting question. You've probably heard this passage before. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Just so you know, the term, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, and they all knew that. He didn't have to explain to them who he was talking about. He's asking his disciples. Listen, people don't necessarily come right up to me and ask me direct questions, but you guys are out in the crowd, and and you've heard people talk about me. And so tell me, what do people say about who I am? That's what Jesus is asking his disciples. They said to him, well, some say John the Baptist. Which is interesting because john the baptist was a contemporary still alive preaching in another location but some people thought that he was somehow in both locations others elijah meaning the prophet from the old testament you know who had lived hundreds of years prior come back from the dead and now preaching uh again in in jerusalem and, and judea it says still others say jeremiah or one of the other prophets and so they, they know that he's preaching with some kind of authority. The way that Jesus approaches the crowds has got people listening. He's got their attention. They realize he teaches differently than our rabbis do. One of the things that, that it was uh, kind of characteristic of the way that rabbis taught is they taught by asking a lot of questions. And, and the proper response to a question was to ask another question. It, w- it was We call it the Socratic method. But they would use that, that question and response kind of teaching method in that day and and when jesus came and he was making bold concrete statements it it kind of rattled people it it struck them as different and it it got their attention and he was preaching with the authority that they thought he must be one of the prophets but then he said to them who do you say that i am and so he turns the question around he says what have you heard what do people say about me And then in this small group of people who walked closest with him, people who spent the most time with him, heard the things that he taught, saw the things that he did, witnessed miracles, he says, what do you say about who I am? And he says that Simon Peter answered. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That word Christ meant a whole lot more to them than just a name. Christ was the word that we we often use, Messiah. You've heard Messiah, especially around Christmas time, we talk about the coming Messiah. That's the equivalent word. And what Simon was saying is, you're the one that we've been waiting for. You are the promised one from God. You're the one who's going to set everything right. You're going to make peace between man and God once and for all. You're going to be the one. The son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, He said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. Now this is a nickname for for Simon Barjona. Simon's nickname is Peter, and and Jesus calls him Peter here. And that that word comes from the word Petrus, which means like petrified wood. It, It means rock. You know, he's kind of this this stony guy. And and so they they call him Peter as kind of this nickname for him. And he says, I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And what is Jesus saying here? When he says upon this rock, he's not just talking about Peter. He's not just going to put it on Peter's shoulders to carry the weight of the church. But it's the statement that Peter has just made. And Peter recognizes that within himself. He he recognizes what Jesus is saying, that that this this stone that he's referring to, this is the the solid bedrock of our faith. The, The solid bedrock that Jesus establishes his church upon is who he is. Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, being our Savior, being the Messiah, the Chosen One of God from the foundation of the world, come at the right time to set us all free for eternity. Jesus is the foundation of the church and Jesus is saying upon that statement upon that truth upon that revealed wisdom of God I will build my church he says the gates of Hades will not overpower it I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven and so here we have Jesus Establishing at the very beginning what the church was going to be built upon. Its primary, most important, foundational truth. And that is knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. The one who came from God to establish peace between God and man. And Peter understood this. In fact, we have a letter from Peter later on in the New Testament where Peter took these words and he, he kind of expanded upon them and he, he understood this, this concept, and you find this in several places in the New Testament, where we take the concept of, of a building, a concept of rocks being fitted together to make a structure, and that being an analogy to what the church is all about. And Peter picks up that, that same logic in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says this, In coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. He's talking about Jesus being the living stone. We come to Jesus as to a living stone which was rejected by men. Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders of his day. He was rejected by the Romans. They, They thought he was just a crazy person. He was rejected by men, but he was choice and precious in the sight of God. And then he says this, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He's quoting from the Old Testament here. This is God's promise. He was going to put a choice cornerstone and the builders rejected. It says this precious value uh, then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to, to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What Peter is saying to these believers, to these early Christians, is he's saying, listen, you are a part of something bigger. You are a part of the church. And you and I are continually added to that church. We are those living stones being fitted together. And we today carry the same legacy that they carried. Now see, a lot of people, if you mention church, they're looking for a building. And and a lot of churches, like this one here, it's identified by a steeple on top. And people think that a church is a location or a church is a building, a church is a structure of some kind. And a lot of people have that in mind whenever they think about what the church is. that's not what Jesus was talking about. But if that's the way you think, here's a useful analogy. If you think about the church as a building, think about Jesus as being the chief cornerstone. He is the most important part of any church. Whatever the church does, it has to be in alignment with, in accordance with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as our Messiah. Jesus has to be the principal part of anything that a church does. It's critical. It's absolutely essential. When it says that he was the cornerstone, this is the first thing that you pave, and everything gets measured off of that. If you're going to lay a foundation, that foundation has to be in alignment with that cornerstone. You might be able to jostle and shift and move around the other stones, but that cornerstone, that's the one that is set in place for permanence. It does not move, it does not change. And everything has to be taken to square off of that. And if anything's out of square, if anything's out of alignment with the cornerstone, that is misplaced and it needs to be pulled out. And that, that is the essence of what the church is all about. But when we talk about the church, we have to realize that it is not a building. But if you're thinking about it in those terms, here's a a useful analogy. But we know that the church is not a building. And when Jesus said, on on this rock I'll build my church, he was talking about an idea. And that idea is something that that goes into all of our hearts whenever we accept Jesus as Lord. Because the the church is not limited that way anymore. I see, it used to be that the, the presence of God would dwell in particular locations. Back whenever the Israelites were in the wilderness, God gave them instructions to build a tent that we call the tabernacle. And the instructions were given in such a way that there would be chambers within chambers such that there was one inner chamber that was called the Holy of Holies. And whenever they had built the tabernacle according to God's specifications, when they had gone through the, the necessary rituals to cleanse it and prepare it for worship, Then the presence of the Lord came and dwelt in that tabernacle and everyone around could see it. They knew that the presence of God was with them whenever it dwelled in that tabernacle. In the wilderness, the, the presence would go up and then it would begin to move and they knew it was time to pack up camp and head out to another spot. Eventually, though, God allowed Solomon to build a temple And if you read in in Chronicles where Solomon builds the temple, he builds it according to these most elaborate specifications you can imagine. It's the most beautiful structure in all the world. And he builds it, he he sanctifies it, he sets it apart, dedicates it to the Lord, and he prays and invites God's presence to come. And because they had honored the Lord with sacrifices, because they had honored the Lord with their hearts being turned towards Him, because they honored the Lord for giving them that land that they dwelt in, God's presence came and it filled the temple. And God's presence would dwell with his people in the temple. The temple was a place that people went to worship God. They, They went there because they knew that his presence was there. But that's not what our structures of the church are today. Because God changed things. Yes, we we sense the presence of the Lord in this place because whenever we gather together and we lift up His praises, we know that God inhabits the praises of His people. But when you guys go, and this church is just an empty shell, it's just another building. Just another structure made with brick and wood and sheetrock. Because God changed things. When Jesus died on the cross... What happened is, in the temple, the veil was torn from top to bottom. That veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, God tore it from the top to the bottom because it was no longer necessary for there to be a separation between God and man. What Jesus did was he bought peace between God and man. His blood was shed as a a payment for the wrath of God. He took upon himself the wrath that you and I deserved. And because Jesus is that, that placeholder, because Jesus is that, that lamb of sacrifice for you and for me, we can now have peace and fellowship with God. Without any barrier, without any separation, without any holy man to go in between, we have direct access to the Lord. And Jesus sent his spirit to dwell within us. And he told his disciples that he was going to go away, and he said, but I'm going to send you another helper who will be with you and will be in you. And so in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says this, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You see, we are the church. You are the church. I am the church. The church is us. And it's God's spirit living inside of us that makes us the temple. And whenever we gather together, we are the church united. And God does amazing things whenever people come together to be the church in their community. And what God is calling us to do is to be the church right here in Scroggins. To be the church for Franklin County that God has called us and equipped us to be. But we can't lose sight of what's foremost. We can't lose sight of what's primary. We can't lose sight of what is most important for a church to do. Years ago, I was in a church and uh, I, I was just I was working there with college and career students, but just a lay person in that church. And, and the pastor walked us through a series called The Purpose Driven Church. Has anybody ever heard of The Purpose Driven Church? Years ago. And it was fantastic. I'm going to incorporate some ideas that I learned along the way with that. I'm not going through that necessarily five-point version of this. But if you want to read that book, I would encourage you to do so. The Purpose Driven Church. Excellent principles there, but the first purpose that they mentioned, which I believe is very biblically sound, and what I'm trying to get to today is this. The first purpose of the church is to worship God it is to give glory and praise and honor to God. That is our first and primary it is overarching in everything that a church does, that's our goal. That's our mission. That's our ambition is to glorify and reveal who God is. Paul says this in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, Paul is the missionary who's gone around and he has established churches in various locations. We're going to talk about Paul a lot. And and as he establishes churches, one of the things he does is he appoints elders within those local churches in order to lead congregations. And then he goes on further journeys, but he writes letters back to the churches, and they would circulate these letters around. This letter was written to the church at Ephesus, and we have it to benefit us even today. But he says this about his ministry. He says, to me, in Ephesians 3, to me, the very least of all, the least of all saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Paul recognizes his place. If you don't know why he calls himself least of all, just so you know, that was Saul. He later changed his name to Paul. But whenever his name was Saul, he was on a mission to get rid of the church. He was going from city to city looking for people who were followers of what he called the way, and he was finding them, bringing them to Jerusalem so that they could stand trial in front of the Sanhedrin, and so that they may even be put to death. We know that he was standing there the day that Stephen was stoned to death, one of the first deacons of the church. And yet, as the very least of all saints, it says this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. The unfathomable, unfathomable riches of Christ. Got through it right the first time. That word trips me up. But he says this, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. This is his mission. This is the mission that he is a part of and that we continue to be a part of today, that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. What we're trying to do is we're trying to point people to God. We're trying to give people evidence of who God is, of how great he is, of how merciful he is, how kind he is. Our mission is to bring glory and honor to the name of God. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to be telling people about how God in his wisdom looked over the sins of man until the right time that he sent Jesus. And that when Jesus came, he bought for us peace with God so that we can live in fellowship with Him. And our mission today is to continue that legacy of revealing the wisdom of God to the nations. And we do that by glorifying God, of giving Him the honor, of giving Him the praise and the glory. He goes on to say later in that same chapter, he says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We exist today to do this very thing, to give glory to God, to make God look good. Our intention, our purposes, all have to be centered on the preeminence of Christ churches do a lot of things churches do a lot of activity uh, they have a lot of programs and we're not we're, we're not casting any we're not here's how my students say we're not throwing shade on anything that a church does all right churches do a lot of different things but all of those things in some way or another have to come back to this Cornerstone. They have to come back to, pre, you know, before anything else and above everything else, we have to be proclaiming who Christ is. This should be the filter through which every activity of the church has to pass. And so when we think about what we do as a church, you know, this service that we meet regularly, weekly, we come together and we worship the Lord. We sing praises to give glory to God. I preach from the Word to proclaim His goodness and His grace and His mercy. What we emphasize, especially on Sundays, the love of our Father. Because we want everyone to understand that God loved them enough to send His Son to die for them. That's primary. That is our first step in becoming a disciple. and becoming one of His is to recognize that He loved us. And so when we gather on Sundays, we are talking about the love of God. We're singing about it. We're worshiping by reading the scriptures. We are talking and discussing and focusing on the love of God. Because when we give glory to him, when he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And that is foundational to what a church does. Now after we finish in the here in, in just a little while, we're going to have a meal together. And we do that also to give glory to God. We call this family fellowship. Good Hope family <laughs> fellowship, right? And this is why. Hey, it's alright. Right. She's going to do her seat. Mama's not here today. <laughs> but listen, when we have that meal together, we are fellowshipping with one another. We are bearing one another's burdens. We are getting to know one another more closely. And Jesus said this, by this all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. There's nothing that I think works better for bringing people together than a meal. Especially here in East Texas. Amen? You want to get to know your neighbors? Have a barbecue. Sorry to use that word incorrectly. Have a cookout. All right, this is Texas, right? Barbecue means brisket. But maybe you want to have brisket. You want to get to know people? Invite them to a meal. At least have snacks. But that's what we're doing is we're getting the, the fellowship that we have over that meal. There, there's purpose to that. It's not just because it's Sunday and it's time to eat. It's because we're growing together in unity. And we are building relationships with one another so that we reveal the love of God to this community. So when we have Bible studies, we're growing in our faith so that we're excited about those things so that we can give glory to God. When we pray for one another, what we're doing is is we are giving glory to God as the authority in our lives, recognizing that we need Him to be involved if our lives are going to go the way we want them to go. Everything that a church does, when, when we finally get to the, the food pantry off the ground, that's, that's coming, guys. We're, we're going to get there, all right? Whenever we get this ministry rolling uh, on, on this food bank, what we want to do is we want to point people to the love of Christ. We do all of these things to glorify God. That is our mission. Foundational through everything that we do, we've got to make sure that we are in alignment with that chief cornerstone, which is... Recognizing Christ as the foundation of it all. And pointing people to that. So as we move forward and as we look at how Christ builds his church, how Christ organizes his church, what the scriptures tell us about those things things, remember the purpose of it all is to bring glory and honor to God. And what did Jesus say? This is, this is so important for us to understand this. <coughs> he says. Blessed are you, Simon. Oh, wait, this one. Also, I say to you that you are Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. It's Christ's church. Good Hope Family Fellowship is not my church. Now, you're my people. And I'm going to call you my church, not because I own it, but because I'm a part of this. This is your church because you're a part of it. But ultimately, the ownership of everything that we do here belongs to Christ. And if at any point we think that this part is mine, we have gotten out of alignment with that chief cornerstone, and we need to be corrected and aligned again with the fact that this all belongs to Him. Christ gave it to us, and it's His. We're just stewards. And I'm going to be here for a while, but I won't be here forever. 2,000 years have gone by since Jesus stated these words, and the church lives on today. Why? Because Christ built the church. And what does he say? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In fact, we see quite the opposite. Every time the, the devil comes down harder on the church, it just multiplies that much faster. When persecution comes against the church, Christ somehow reveals himself in a way that people flock to knowing him more. We want to be his church in this community. And to do that, above all else, we must give glory and honor to his name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You are so good to us. What a blessing to be gathered in a place like this, to have a building in a facility and grounds like these. What a blessing to have people like the ones that you have brought together in this place to be an encouragement to me, to be an encouragement to each of us, that we can bear one another's burdens, that we can know that we don't walk alone. Christ, truly, this is your church. You have established it. From the foundations of the world, you had this in mind. And though we may come and go, you will build it on for eternity. We want to yield to you. We want to be the church that you have designed us to be. We want to become who you are making us to be. So help us to see it. Help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. And may every step of the way, may we pause and give you glory for what you're doing. God, what a blessing. Lord, you know this has been a long journey for me and for my family. There are many years ahead still. God, you have been so faithful. Father, I pray that we as a body here would be faithful to carry out what you have equipped us to do. And above all else, to give glory and honor to your name. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, let me just encourage you to give glory and honor to God. As you think about what God has done for you, just pause and reflect on that this morning. There is no greater purpose that we serve than to give glory and honor to God, to worship Him, everything that we do ought to point us towards that. That is what the church is about. And let me encourage you, as you serve, as you minister, as you carry out any activity within the church, remember, the purpose of those things is to give glory to God. And may you do that with a refreshed and renewed diligence as God leads you and makes you able. Let's worship together.